This is Dear Analyst, episode number 30. And today I'm going to talk about how you can learn Excel or spreadsheets while staying at home during COVID-19. We're all quarantining right now, hopefully, you're all social, social distancing and a lot of people are taking online classes. And I want to talk about a few tips and tricks to learn Excel while you're at home. It's been a couple of weeks since my last episode had just wrap up some big projects at work and hopefully I can create some more episodes in a weekly or bi-weekly manner. And we'll just get on with today's episode. So now that everyone's staying at home, uh, people have probably tried to figure out how I can increase my skill set or just pick up a new hobby. And I've noticed for my own classes, which I have on Skillshare, um, Excel for the real world, my viewership and students have spiked uh, beyond the normal number of students in my classes. And I can't say there's any other reason except for the fact that people are staying at home and trying to up-level their skills in Excel, spreadsheets, and data analysis. And I thought to myself, besides the fact that people are staying at home, why are so many people trying to learn specifically about Excel? And a few theories that come to mind are maybe school, maybe if you're graduating college or considering going to college in the fall, you probably are reconsidering your decision based on do I want to get a, how fast do I want to get a job? Will the college education actually help me with securing a job? Because right now it's all about how can I make sure I weather this pandemic and this economic downturn that we're all facing. And I think people are picking up Excel and other similar real skills because they need these skills for their job. And this brought me back to an episode I did a few months ago, episode number 22. And I brought up in that episode a podcast from another, an episode from another podcast called Freakonomics, which many of you may have heard of. And in that episode of Freakonomics, they talked about uh, the different stats around subjects that Freakonomics listeners wish they had learned in high school to better prepare themselves for their current roles in the real world on their job. And so just to give you some high-level numbers on why you would want to learn Excel in the first place. So in this Freakonomics episode, they talked about a survey they gave to all the Freakonomics listeners. And here are the numbers high-level about people that they surveyed less than 5% of survey responders said that they still use calculus, trigonometry, or geometry in their current jobs. These are all pretty common topics that you learn in high school. 70% of the people that they surveyed said they use Excel or Google Sheets on a daily basis. 75% said they visualize data or present data to make an argument on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. So right then and there, in terms of what people are actually using on their job, spreadsheets, data analysis, data visualization, 70 plus percent. And then less than 5% are people learning, are still using calculus, trigonometry, all those subjects that you remember from middle school and high school. Then they asked a bunch of survey questions about subjects that 
people wish they had learned in high school. Zero percent, a big fat zero, said they wish they had learned other traditional math subjects in high school beyond what they already had learned, like calculus, trigonometry, geometry. So no one wanted to learn anything else that was considered a part of the traditional math curriculum. Sixty-five percent said they wish they had learned skills around analyzing and interpreting data to uncover insights. Sixty percent said they wish they had learned how to visualize and present data. So when it comes comes down to learn about when it comes down to why you should learn Excel and why I think many people are learning Excel right now online and learning about data analysis and learning about data visualization and data cleaning techniques, is because the stats are very clear. You will be using a spreadsheet, no matter what kind of job you are in, and some point or another, whether it's in Excel, Google Sheets, or some other kind of data analysis platform. And so, I think just thinking about the future, just think about your future in terms of where your job prospects are during after this pandemic, is how do I best present myself and uplevel my skills in a way that makes me presentable and marketable to. My future employer, I think that kind of calculus, that kind of step-by-step thinking is what people are going through right now, and I think that's what's leading to this spike in online learning, specifically for data analysis techniques. And I really encourage more and more people to learn these skills because you may not get this if you do a traditional、uh, liberal arts kind of education, or even a business school education. A lot of business schools. You're not really learning Excel. You're learning, you know, corporate finance, learning accounting, but you're not learning. You're not necessarily using Excel spreadsheets for an hour and a half during a lecture. So now that we know why you should learn Excel online during this pandemic, let's talk about some of the tips that you can use to learn Excel effectively and hopefully land your next job, probably as a remote worker, if the pandemic is still going on in the next six to twelve months. So, step one. Very simple. Block out time in your Google Calendar or your Outlook Calendar to actually take the class that you enrolled in online. If you're if you know David Allen's getting things done philosophy, you've probably heard this phrase: if it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. And I think just taking some time out of your day, if you currently have a job, great. But if you're trying to get a new role. Scheduling an hour block or whatever time you can give yourselves at the end of the day, beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, to actually take the class that you enrolled in will get you moving throughout the course. I think a big mistake a lot of online students do is they say, "Oh, I'll get to this class when I feel like it, when I have time," and what you may end up doing is cramming a lot, or you take a big break between when you first start the class and continue the class, and it just doesn't give you get you into that flow of taking the class. In a continuous type of manner, where you can build on top of your skills that you gain from each class, step by step. So, just being intentional about blocking time off in your calendar, just like you block out time to, you know, have meetings or to run an errand, take out time to actually block out when you want to take the classes in whatever class that you've、uh, picked up. <clears throat> Number two, and this applies to many different things in work and life, is just simply. Minimize distractions. We all are trying to stay connected with family and friends right now, and whether you're on WhatsApp all day, FaceTime, Facebook, house party, Slack for work, or Slack with your friends, it's really easy to get distracted with 
all the notifications on your phone and on your desktop. And if you can eliminate those notifications, again, just leads back to step one, which is you can have some un uninterrupted time to get through all the classes and the coursework that you need to learn Excel, Excel formulas, and spreadsheets. So just minimize as much as you can distractions and really give yourself an un a block of time where you can really focus on the class at hand. Number three is connect with the instructor or the community for the class you're taking. A lot of class platforms these days, uh, Skillshare being one of them, is they really encourage students to uh, post on the discussion boards for the class, uh, contact the instructor when you have questions. Some classes actually have some kind of like TA type of arrangement for the class. Um, those are obviously really great because you have like maybe weekly check-ins with someone um, that's administrating the class, help you stay on top of things. And this is probably a little more common with obviously college classes that are now online. But with some of these basic learning platforms where you're learning Excel, really encourage you to interact with the instructor and the community early on because it just makes you feel like you're a part of a team, part of a group. And more importantly, there's someone or some people to keep you accountable on your journey of learning Excel or Google Sheets. So just trying to be social and connect with people online as much as you can, specifically in the class that you're taking. Number four, have Excel open alongside the video where you are taking the class. Uh, I think I'm guilty of this too when I've tried taking classes online before when I'm trying to learn a new tool or learn some kind of technical concept is I'm watching the instructor do it in whatever platform they're doing it in. And when I'm watching, I'm seeing them do it and seeing them you know, write out the code or click on different menu options. And I'm like, oh yeah, it seems pretty easy. I can see how they got to from point A to point B and it's pretty easy and I can just watch it and feel like I'm learning. But then when I try to do it myself, I'm just completely lost. And so I think the best, and this is one of the ways I learn and I suspect this is a, a way for others is to have the program open and follow along with the instructor while you're taking in the class. So if you see the instructor starting to type out a VLOOKUP formula, pause the video, go to Excel window, which you have open right next to the video, and then start writing the VLOOKUP formula and seeing if you can complete what the instructor just did on the video. It's one thing, again, to watch the instructor and see them do it, but it's another thing to actually do it yourself. You can watch someone ride a bike as much as you want, but until you get on the bike yourself and try pedaling, you're really not gonna know what the feeling is of actually being able to ride a bike. Uh, so just like in riding a bike, you want to have the program open so that you can actually practice and do things that the, that the instructor is doing and pause the video when you want to take a break and really try to learn the concept. And this really comes down to uh, learning Excel formulas because you really want to be able to write it out and see all the different nuances about the formula that you need to make it work. The final tip is number five, practice with real use cases from your daily life. And this is probably the most important tip. I tell people that are struggling to learn Excel, if you can, is to get someone to send you their Excel files from work that doesn't have sensitive information. For me, that was one of the best ways I learned Excel because I would take someone's Excel file who was probably 10 times better than Excel than me, and I would try to dissect 
dissect the Excel file to see how it worked, why they did it a certain way, why they wrote certain formulas. And then I could take those similar patterns and learnings and apply them to my own Excel files going forward. And of course, many of you may not have friends who are willing to give you their Excel files from work. And so if you just go on Google and search for financial model Excel template, track customers Excel template, you'll probably see a few examples of people who have built Excel files and they're just published Excel files online. And you can download them and see how they built the Excel files and how you can use them for a real work, a real on the job type of use case. Taking the Excel file that you get from class is great, but until you can apply it to a real use case, you won't see all the different roadblocks and different variables that you need to take, take into account when you're building an Excel file for, uh, for a real world job. And <clears throat> I think even if, you don't, even if you don't find any Excel files that you can use to dissect, I would actually just start building some basic Excel files or Google Sheets to track things in your daily life. Things like what you eat every day, all the home workouts you're doing, and which home workouts do you like the best. Tracking how much you're spending online on Amazon and other types of uh, delivery services. Maybe you want to track the COVID-19 stats for your county or state and just have a place where you can start putting in numbers and tracking things and getting used to updating an Excel file or Google Sheets on a daily basis so that you get comfortable using different formulas and using different features in Excel or Google Sheets. And the key takeaway is that you're building a file, building a Google Sheet for a real world scenario. So those are the five tips on how I think you can learn Excel online these days. And uh, hopefully I'll take my, my own class on Skillshare and hopefully uh, the, these skills will better position you and make yourself more marketable for your next role that may involve a lot of data analysis, data visualization, and spreadsheet work. Now, in addition to the classes that I've, I teach on Skillshare, there are a couple that I really wanna point out and I mentioned in the show notes that you should also check out and see if these, instruct see if these instructors uh, kind of, you know, feel right to you and you want to take their classes, but I have been following some of these instructors for a couple of years and I think their classes are really awesome. So Oz Dussolet's Linda classes, he has been teaching Excel for quite a few years now and he has some really great classes and breaks down things step by step. So check out his Linda classes. Uh, Minda Tracy's My Online Training Hub classes, um, she's also been the in the Excel training space for quite a few years and i know that she has some really great videos so we check those out if you get a chance and then finally the one the only bill jellin mr excel his youtube channel has like hundreds of thousands of subscribers and is providing you excel tips and tricks for free um I, there's not as much of a i don't think there's like a whole kind of like a learning series on like going from beginner to advanced but there are a lot of kind of one-off videos that can get you up to speed on certain Excel topics that, again, are useful for real-world application. So check those out. I, lo I left the show notes, left the links for these different classes and instructors in the show notes. And of course, there's my Excel for the real-world class on Skillshare.com. Um, before I go on to mention some of the other podcasts and episodes that I found interesting this week, I wanted to call out one 
YouTuber that has always been entertaining for me, and his name is well, the YouTube channel's name is Krizam, but the character in this video is named is Macro, and that's Macro with a K. And the video is called X Lookup Meta Breaker Microsoft Excel Stream Highlights 1019. And this video I just discovered it recently, but it came out in October of last year, 2019. And the video talks about how Macro is like in this kind of fake Excel, like uh, virtual competition. Um, oh yeah, so the competition is called Balmericon. It's a real Excel competition in the video as they describe it, as he describes it. He's talking about how he lost to someone in the finals and he mentions the news about the introduction of XLOOKUP. And I mentioned XLOOKUP in a couple episodes ago, how it replaces VLOOKUP, HLOOKUP, and index match. And it's so fun to hear him talk about how it's really kind of turned him away from Excel because he calls himself like an Excel power user. <clears throat> and the inter introduction of XLOOKUP makes him feel like Microsoft is dumbing down the platform for beginners and newbies who don't know the difference between XLOOKUP or don't know the difference between VLOOKUP and HLOOKUP. And he talks about how he spent 10 years of his life mastering index match and VLOOKUP. And now XLOOKUP is just simply too optimal that you can use it for every single use case and not have to worry about whether you're doing index match versus uh, VLOOKUP to, for a more optimal lookup. And <clears throat> while the video is kind of like a, a kind of like a, joke on the <clears throat> on the kind of like this fake excel competition and the commentary is also kind of um tongue-in-cheek but i think it raises some interesting concerns about the usability of excel specifically for more advanced and power users where i think at one point in the video he was saying maybe at next year's BalmerCon, the next year's excel competition uh, you know, maybe a 14-year-old can win it with like a stylus on his iPad. And I thought that was really interesting because I definitely learned all the ins and outs of Excel on Excel version 2003. And there's a certain level of pride that comes with learning a platform in and out and knowing all the little technical intricacies of how to optimize a formula and how to make things work. And then when all these kind of <clears throat> like, I call them kind of like drag and drop features come into play it eliminates the need to consider all these little intricacies that you used to have to think about when you were, you know, in older versions of Excel. <clears throat> and this could turn away some of the more advanced or pro users as macro calls it. And I think it's kind of akin to like, uh, maybe like old, older programmers who had a use when they used to program, they had to account for like, you know, creating memory for the programs to run. And now when you allow modern day programming languages, so much of that is taken is uh, taking care of for you behind the scenes, and I think some people are like, "Oh, back in my day, I had to do this and that to make things work." But nowadays, most modern frameworks don't require you to know all those little things about allocating memory, for instance. Uh, so, anyways, this really fun video, but has some serious uh, serious kind of in, in insights into how advanced Excel users might think about all the new features that Microsoft is releasing to make Excel more approachable for the beginner or everyday user. So props to Macro for making that video uh, very funny and entertaining.
Okay, so let's get on to some of the other episodes that I found interesting in the last couple of weeks. So the first one, let me take a look here, is an A16Z episode. It was actually a rerun of an episode done a couple years ago. And it the title of the episode is Innovation Through Software Development and IT. And they talk with the authors of the book Accelerate the Science of Lean Software and DevOps by Nicole Forsgren, Jess Humble, and Jean Kim. And around minute, let's see here, da, 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 around minute 40, they talk about a study that Google did that tried to find the best combination of people that would result in innovation and risk-taking that would basically push product development and push kind of new ideas to the forefront within a team. And they discovered that it wasn't about, you know, the right types of job titles or the right number of managers or the right number of team members. The biggest factor that led to risk-taking, and I think they call it uh, novelty or basically innovation, is this notion of psychological safety and how that is the number one ingredient for innovation. And I actually never heard, I haven't heard this term until recently um, at, while working in my current role. And the more I look into it, the more I realize it's really just a phrase that talks about engendering a culture of risk-taking, but more importantly, not, um, not fearing that you're gonna be blamed or criticized for failure. Because by default, when you're taking a lot of risks and trying different options, there will be some good apples and some bad apples. And I think if you don't have that type of, what they call, again, the psychological safety to take those kind of risks, then you're less likely to push the envelope and kind of take these wild risks that could yield really big fruits in the end, but you might feel afraid to if you don't have that kind of trust and safety that your other team members have. And... I know at least within my team, we definitely value psychological safety a lot. And I think it not only helps you take better risks, but also just makes you a better team because you can trust each other and help each other out and not feel like, you know, this person is not being a team player because they're not playing by the rules or they're not, um, you know, they're not following along with what everyone else is doing. And if you don't have that ability to, take those risks and not feel like you're going to be criticized then you know the the product and the business is probably going to stay pretty pretty stagnant and i think that's really interesting that it doesn't really matter like the type of people that you have on the team all it comes down to is that whoever is on the team as long as they trust each other and have that kind of safety net then really awesome things can happen with the uh with the company and with the team so there's a whole lot of other stuff written about psychological safety that you can look up online, but I think the what the um, what the authors of the book talk about is that they they realized in all the research that this was like kind of number one thing, and it came from um, a, a team at Google that was doing this research, and you know especially coming from a big place like Google, who who is measuring all kinds of things on teams. I think this is definitely a, a study to look more into, especially if you are on a team and you're trying to encourage people to take more risks that can potentially lead to new innovations in the company. The second episode I want to talk about is actually from a, well, I've been listening to this podcast for a while, but this is the first time I 
heard an episode that I thought I wanted to talk about and mentioned on Dear Analyst. And this is the Knuckleheads podcast by the Players Tribune. It's a podcast um, about basketball. And the Knuckleheads, the two hosts are Quentin, Richard, Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles. And in season three, episode six, they interview Isaiah Thomas, a.k.a. Zeke, who famously played on the Detroit Pistons, the Bad Boys from the late 80s to early 90s. And around minutes, let's see here, around minute 16, um, they, Isaiah Thomas gets asked about what it was like playing with a, a certain coach when he was playing basketball early on in high school. And he mentioned how he his coach gave him a lot of freedom, but with that freedom came self. In order to use that freedom, you had to have a lot of self-discipline. And the first thing I thought about when I heard that phrase was Jocko Willink's discipline equals freedom. And it's so interesting seeing that phrase and that concept being applied, well, from a kind of war uh you know, Navy SEAL, let me say like a business management perspective to basketball. And the way that Isaiah Thomas painted this picture was his coach didn't really have many set plays and really have many out of bounds plays or sideline plays to get the ball in bounds. It was much more fluid, fluid, which meant that all the players on the team would have more freedom to take risks and do things on the floor that a normal coach wouldn't allow because a normal coach has a bunch of set plays and a bunch of um, uh, preset kind of strategies. And the downside of having that is that once a team sees those strategies and watches the, the tape, they can see how different players have different tendencies, different players that go left or right, and the play becomes a lot more predictable. Whereas in basketball, a lot of the best basketball is from a very kind of spontaneous improvisational nature. And I think when Isaiah Thomas talked about how they have so much freedom, but in order to use that freedom, they had to have discipline and the fact that you had to know when you couldn't take that freedom too far. You couldn't be so risk-taking where you always want to take the last shot because you had that freedom and the coach would even ask the team at the time, hey, who wants to take the last shot? Who thinks they can make it? And people would actually self-restrain themselves and have self-discipline to say, no, coach, I don't want to take that shot because um, they were disciplined enough to know that they might not have it. Uh, whereas if you have a set play, then you already know that you know Michael Jordan or whoever will take the last shot, and it becomes much more predictable for the defense. Uh, so really interesting episode, just hearing from one of my kind of childhood basketball heroes and just hearing that, again, that phrase kind of being carried on from Jocko to Isaiah Thomas. I never thought those two would be connected in this way. Um, but when I think about playing, even when I used to play high school basketball, um, I, I wouldn't say our coach gave us that much freedom, but there was this notion that if you have open if you see an open open man or if you see an open opening in the defense you just you just attack and 
there was we did have set plays and set motion plays, but and at the end of the day, if you have that opening, then you just go for it. If the defense is playing you too hard, then you drive around them. If they're playing you too soft, then you can go for the jump shot. And that kind of freedom to do whatever you want in those parameters required you to, you know, have have a little kind of discipline and say, I can't just like go crazy and throw up a three point shot every single chance I get, which is basically the NBA these days. But you really had to be conscious about what your own boundaries are and what your own kind of capabilities are and then how you can use that to best benefit uh, the team. So that was that that episode from Knuckleheads podcast I really enjoyed. So definitely give that one a listen. And it's also a podcast I don't typically mention on Dear Analyst, but once in a while I'll hear an episode that uh, has some crossover into everything else that's mentioned on this podcast. So that will wrap it up for this episode. And I hope that uh, you guys are staying safe and healthy out there. And I'll be back uh, in next week or hopefully, hopefully next week or at least within two weeks with a new episode about uh, Google Apps Script. I'm a really big fan of Google Apps Script and how it can really automate things with Google Spreadsheets and um, have a great script I want to talk about that I wrote recently to help sync data between Google Sheets and Coda, where I work. So that will be for the next episode. Mm-hmm.